Hot topics. I'm going to talk tonight about when do I let go of a friend? When it's time to let a friend go. Now, I want to lay the ground rules here for a second because if you're not careful, you'll take this title alone and think, well, if I'm a Christian and my friend's not a Christian, then I have to say, deuces, get out of here because I'm more righteous than you. Not in the least. It's the opposite of anything that I would ever promote. The reality is, is that there is never a single person on this planet who God does not love, and if there's somebody who God loves, then he has called you then to love them as well. So there is not one person who ought to ever be abandoned by you. There are, however, times where you have to walk away in love. There's a scripture in Proverbs, and I may get back to it, but I want to read it, so I don't know if we can put it up on the screen. It's a scripture in Proverbs that you may have heard before. But it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. There are a lot of people who think that being a friend is synonymous with never hurting them. In fact, the better the friend it is, the more often they will probably hurt you to promote your actual well-being. Like, I know a good friend is willing to sit me down and say, Taylor, you're off. The way you talked to your wife the other day, I I watched that in that meeting, and I could see how she responded, and you didn't realize that the way you came across was wrong, and I love you too much to not tell you. That hurt me in the moment, but was worth hearing because I needed to hear it. A good friend is willing to actually stab you that it might promote your healing. Have you ever had an ingrown toenail? The worst. It's gnarly. I took a picture. I do have it. I will find it. I will show it to you. It was wonderful. You'll love it. But I remember, I remember, I kept trying, like, if you've ever had one and you don't deal with it, it will go away for weeks or days at a time, and it'll just stop hurting. You can walk around, it's as if it was never there, and then it'll come back something fierce. And what it does is it just kind of keeps resurfacing. So what you have to do is when it's back, you kind of have to open it up and cut it at the root so that it doesn't keep coming back. So I remember my dad, he's like, all right, son, I know what we need to do. Sits me on the bed, sits on my legs so that I don't resist. And he takes scissors, which, come on, dad, like really? But he took a pair of scissors and literally cut my, my thumb toe, whatever, big toe open, cuts it open to cut the edge of my toenail off at the root so that, this is a real story. I know, my dad does love me, okay? He does, he's a good dad. But it's funny because that, the pain that he caused and the wound that he caused, the blood that he shed on my toe was actually what caused my toe to heal. And I can tell you today, I have been free of ingrown toenails for at least 15 years. Because someone who truly loves you is willing to do what will hurt you that in the end you might actually be better than you were before. Let me say it again. Someone who truly loves you isn't going to be the kind of person who always fans your flame but instead is willing to do what you hate and makes you want to run away and makes you angry at them because they know how to say what you don't want to hear, but you know you need to hear. That's what a good friend does. Anyways. So there's never a point in your life 
that you ought to abandon people, but there will be points where if you're not careful, you will be the kind of friend who this, this scripture doesn't talk about, but instead all you do is you multiply kisses. All you do is you, you're just fluffy and you're never willing to say what needs to be said. And so in the end, what you're doing is you are making people think that it is okay for compromise. And some of you, I want to challenge you that you say you're a Christian, but you are surrounded by compromise, and it's only going to be a matter of time before you yourself start compromising. Because all you do is surround yourself with compromise. Friends, if you want to leave, you can. I'm serious. If you want to leave, you can. Otherwise, none, no more of that. Okay, next time I see it, I'll let David kick you out. That's fine. So, I love you, by the way. But if you're not careful, compromise will be like a weed that you allow to fester for so long and it never shows itself on the surface and then like that it sprouts up and it is this tall. So, when do I let go of a friend? Let me say a couple other things. No one's ever too far gone. Reconciliation is always the goal. But reconciliation doesn't mean immediate forgiveness and trust. Okay? You know what I mean? Like, Someone hurts you, you forgive, but you don't necessarily let them back to the place that it used to be. You have to allow time for healing and restoration. Sometimes that means I forgive you, but you're never coming near me again. But I love you, and I'm not letting your sin hold me hostage. I forgive you, but it doesn't mean automatic, the same as it always was. Last thing, don't be that friend who says it's everyone else's fault when people keep leaving you. I know a lot of people, and there's some of you in here, if you're being honest, you got people maybe even in this room, across the room, who, if you're being honest, like, you used to be close, but then something happened that really didn't deserve breaking your friendship up, but it did, but you blame them, so you're unwilling to start the conversation or go and make it right or go and try and make things, you know, fix things, because you weren't actually ever a good friend in the first place. Because if you would... No small offense would get in between you and a friend. And even if it takes time and you knocking at the door constantly, good friends don't give up when somebody makes a mistake. So now that I've laid those ground rules, there are times where you don't abandon, but you do leave a friend behind because you're too busy growing and moving forward. That's where we pick up. And read this scripture in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29. Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about a plethora of things. He's talking about uh, relationships and temptation in marriage and adultery. This is what he just addressed. Now, so he, he kind of zooms in on, okay, if you've committed adultery, but then he takes it a step further, talks about the matters of, a, of the heart, and, but what he's really, all of this is, how do we relate to people? How do we live this thing out? And I want to just read in verse 29. It says, if your right eye, representing what you see, your focus, if it causes you to stumble, then gouge it out. Throw it away. Because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It's not a great scripture. Let's keep reading. If your right hand, representing relationships, and I'll get to that. If your right hand causes you to stumble, then cut it off and throw it away. 
Because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your entire body to go into hell. I'm going to speak tonight on the subject, you've got to lose to win. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You've got to lose to win. You've got to lose to win. If I say it real fast, it sounds like I say you've got to lose to Lynn. But I don't want you to lose to Lynn because I like to Lynn. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. We pray that as we, uh, God, as we hear your word, that we would not be the kind of people who maybe even like every other week just allow it to go in one ear and out the other. But we would maybe ask you, if, if you're real, God, that you might have something you want to say to me. God, we don't believe that you're just here, this static, empty, angry God, waiting for us to do our part before you'll do yours. You already did yours, sending the loud and clear message that you want relationship with us. Let that motivate us tonight to listen to what you have to say, and let us leave a little different. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, How many of you have ever broken a bone before? Now, I'm not talking about a finger. That doesn't count. I'm not talking about a toe. That's weak sauce. I'm talking about real bones. How many of you, you've ever broken more than one bone on one occasion? Like, like you broke multiple bones in one accident. Anyone? Okay. I have, over the course of my life, broken seven bones. Okay? Broken three in my arm, then my, my patella, my tibia, fibula, and my ankle. And it's wonderful. That's why I'm so cool. Except when I tell you the small detail of every single bone that has been broken has either been in my front yard, my backyard, or my neighborhood. I haven't fallen off a roof, you know, rescuing a cat. I haven't been run over by a car like my brother. It's like, how cool is that? How'd you break your arm? Got run over by a car. Sweet. That's cool. How'd you break your arm? Fell out of a hammock. It's like, how wuss is that? That's what I did in first grade. It's the worst. The worst part about it, it's like, I, here's what happened. I'm, I'm getting pushed in my hammock, this neighbor named Kara. I've never liked people named Kara ever since then, just because she was pushing me. She's pushing me too high, and there's like a cement uh, floor uh, parallel with it, and I fell out, and I just landed right on it, and I shattered my arm. I didn't know what happened. I went upstairs, took a nap, woke up, and it was all purple, and my dad's like, I think we need to go to the hospital. I'm like, yep, you're right. Actually, I was in first grade. I don't really remember any of it. I think I was kind of like on cloud nine because it's just like, what's happening here? And so we go to the hospital, and I had broken three bones, and they determined that I was actually maybe going to need a major surgery because of how bad the break was. Well, it turns out I didn't need the surgery, but I had to get a large cast on from my shoulder all the way down over my fingers because of how bad and shattered that my elbow was. And so I couldn't write, couldn't do anything with my right arm. Now, the thing about my right arm is I am not a left-handed person like my dad is. I'm right-handed, which means in first grade, like, if you're in 10th grade or something, it's like you could probably get by typing with your left hand or, you know, writing the three or four words that you write every year with a pencil or pen um, when you don't have your iPad with you. But it's like, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't do that. And we had all these worksheets we had to do and, you know, penmanship and all that kind of stuff. And this is like, when you know you're cool when you can draw, like, really good handwriting in the lines. You know, there's the three lines. There's the dotted ones in the middle. And you make it just perfect to where your A just grazes the line. 
and then the perfect line, and, and it was just, it was beautiful, and I was, like, I was really getting good, and, and, and so I broke my arm, and my momentum with my handwriting just was stopped, and I remember there were times where I'd turn in assignments, and I would get an incomplete, have to redo it because of my left-handed handwriting, because I had to write everything with my left hand, and it's opposite, it's, there's no muscle memory, I don't know any of it, and so the worst part was I couldn't use my Right hand, I had to use my left hand, learn a whole new set of skills, which is kind of funny because the moment that I got my hand out of the cast, I had lost my muscles or I lost a lot of my muscle in my arm. It was so bad. And if you've ever broken a bone and you had a cast for a long time, I remember when my leg was broken, my thighs, when I got it out, was just a little bit bigger than right about this. I was in ninth grade, and they held my leg over the, over the desk and asked if I could hold it up, and they let go, and I couldn't, I couldn't move my knee. That's how weak it was because it had been in a cast for six months using no muscle. Anyways, so I had lost all of it. So I actually ended up, by third grade, I won the penmanship award. And, and that's, you know, I peaked in third grade, let's be honest. But um, because what I had to do is I had to start from scratch and I relearned all of the muscle memory to write perfect handwriting. The worst part when you... Break an arm isn't that you can't do what you were doing before. See, I was able to do it. It was that my ability to do it effectively was largely minimized because I now had no use of my right arm. Here's what I would say tonight, and this is what I want you to write down. When you have the wrong people close to you, your ability to fulfill God's purpose is minimized. When you have the wrong people close to you, your ability to function in God's purpose for your life is minimized. Now, you might be saying, what does this have to do with the scripture you just read? I'm going to attempt to tell you. The right hand. The right hand. Uh, how many? Is anyone left-handed in here? Oh, whoa. There we go. I believe it's some nine, upper 90-something percent of people in the world today maybe even 99, I haven't looked up the statistic in a while, are right-handed. And it's actually believed that a high percentage of left-handed people are actually also right-handed, ambidextrous. They could do both, but for whatever reason, they started using their left hand as a kid. Now, I'm not trying to diss you. You might be like, no, left-handed pride, stop dissing me. Okay, I'm sorry. But the right hand in Scripture back in the day, the right and the left, they, were, they, were, they signified something different. I'm not talking politics, but right hand, it signified fellowship. It signified favor and blessing and authority. So when you hear in Scripture that Jesus, when he, when he rose from the grave, he went up to heaven and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And when we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf to Jesus, where Jesus is like, hey, God, so the Holy Spirit and I were talking, here's the deal, and so they, they, he emerges that conversation. Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So the right hand, what does it signify? Fellowship, relationship, blessing, favor. The left hand, however, in those days, oftentimes, it was the hand that was dirty because you would reserve it to do the things that were unbecoming of relationship. So the things that you would do in private, such as go potty and then do, you know, do what you need to do to wipe. I'm sorry to bring poop and, and potty back into it. It's just what I do. I'm a, 
I'm a dad. I got two kids. But the left hand signified dishonor. So if someone were to ever, if someone were to ever come into a place and meet someone who was famous and stick out their left hand, or a, a community member stick out their left hand, it said, I want you to publicly know that I do not honor you. That's what the left hand meant. So it's quite interesting when you see in Scripture, actually, there were some left-handed people who were shamed and cast out because what they would do is they'd use the unclean hand. So the right, it's what's clean, it's purpose, it's relationship, it's what is good, it's what's honorable, it's authority, it's purpose. So when you would stick out your right hand, there's another term if you've ever heard it, and I'm giving you a history lesson so I can bring this together, so stay with me. But it's called the right hand of fellowship. So if somebody in those days were to ever give you, extend their right hand, it's more than just, what's up, man? High five. It was, I'm extending fellowship to you, so I'm communicating to you and to anyone who sees us that you're okay with me. You're welcome in my territory. I believe in you. Not only that, but I will be vulnerable with you. I want to open up to you. You're welcome in my life. The right hand of fellowship. I'm, I, I trust you with my heart. You could say that when two people get, start dating and then they get engaged and they get married, what they're doing is extending the right hand of fellowship saying, I'm giving you not just my worst, but I'm giving you my best. It's the right hand of fellowship. The right hand. If your right hand, fellowship, relationship, causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better for you to lose one relationship than to lose your future. To lose your purpose. I think there's some people in here, if we're being honest, hear me out. There's some people on our right hand that we need to cut off so that we don't lose our entire future. There's some people that we need to say no to, even though we feel like saying yes, so that we can say yes to the very thing that God put us on this earth to do. I wish Noelle was here tonight because she could tell the story of when she was in seventh grade, some of your age, maybe a little younger than some of you. But when, um, and I've told this story probably two, three dozen times in my course of being a youth pastor. So if you've heard it before, then um, you're welcome. But I remember when, uh, I don't remember, I didn't know her yet. I met her probably later this year. But she grew up as, you know, normal kid in church and life and whatever and, and, you know, knew God, knew about God. God was a cool thing, whatever. But there came a point in her life, it was actually at a summer camp, which is why we encourage summer camp. It's not so much only about the fun, but it's the God moments that God could literally actually change the next 90 years of your life at camp. I don't take it lightly, friends. I've been to summer camp 20 years in, in a row, 20 years. I don't do this because I want to half-ass it. Sorry for the language. I'm not just stumbling through this crap. This is real to me. It's important because souls matter and your life matters and your future matters. We don't do this for fun and to fake life. 
We do this because you need it and I need it and we need each other and we need God. And without God in this day and age, we are all going to hell right here on earth. Man, we need God. That's why we do camp. Noelle's at camp, 13 years old. God spoke to her. It's time for you to move forward. It's time for you to really serve me. And so in seventh grade, all these relationships that she had had since elementary school, since early on, kindergarten, pre-K, her next-door neighbor even, that were going a different direction. I remember she, she was telling me the story. She got home from camp, and the next day, one of her friends um, who recently uh, it was thrown into a men's, mental institution because she had been so strung out on drugs for so long that she just lost it, had invited her to go to this party that was seemingly innocent. And in that moment, it was this why in the road of, which way do you want to go, Noel? And Noel said, you know what, Amanda, I'm done. And if you want to come with me, please do. But I'm not going that way anymore. Imagine a seventh grader doing that. I'm thankful she did that because I have two beautiful babies today because of that choice right there. But she went the other way. Said, sorry. Now that friend thought that she abandoned her, but it was really in love that she said, you know what? I love you too much to allow you to think that I'm okay you living this lifestyle. It's not for me. I am deciding to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. She made that decision. So God has an amazing plan for each and every one of us, but that requires the right people around us to get us to where he's called us. We say it all the time. God did not create the church so that it could be all about him. It's not all about Jesus. I know I just contradicted myself on stage 20 minutes ago. Because if it was all only about Jesus, then he wouldn't have created the church and you and I to need each other. See, when it's truly about Jesus, it's about his church because we need community, we need life, we need people who are going to lift us up and propel us to where God's called us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can do this by yourself? How many think you can just do it on your own? I'll watch. Let's see. We can't. We are up a creek without a paddle. We're screwed. Hell in a handbasket. I'm trying to think of other great catchphrases, but we are done if we do this by ourselves. We cannot. But the paradox of it is when you know that you've got to do it with other people, intrinsic to that is a recognition that you don't know what you're doing. And there will be times where you think you know what you're doing, but you, in reality, don't. You're putting that puzzle piece in, thinking this has got to work, this has got to work, this relationship, I always liked him, and, and the, all the signs are pointing to yes, and we really love each other, we really care, but it's not fitting, but I'm, I'm going to make it work. Sometimes you need that person in your life to say, stop, get out of that relationship, you're wasting your time. And they may not say it in the most... The same colorful words, they may say, hey, have you ever thought about this? But read between the lines. Allow the Holy Spirit to think, speak to you. Because if you do, he will give you something better than you can drum up on your own. But it takes you being willing to recognize, I don't got this figured out. Need some wisdom. So what does it look like to cut it off and throw it away? And this is the paradox of it. Because... 
I had friends who would come back from camps in middle school and high school, and they would go to all their non-Christian friends and say, sorry, guys, I can't hang out anymore because I love God, and I can't be around non-Christians. Defeating the purpose of Christianity, which is to be the light in the... Be the light in the what? Darkness in your school, some of your, your families, okay? It's in our community. We don't need a bunch of more dark, and we don't need all the light to leave. We need the light in all of the worst places. But sometimes what it looks like is you being willing to cut off that kind of association. What Paul says is get rid of any association with this darkness because in doing so, you're actually saying to the whole community that this is what we are all about. So what does it look like? Doesn't mean say peace out. Doesn't mean say deuces, I'm done with you. It doesn't mean come home and say you're secular, I'm Christian, see you later. No, but what it does mean is you cut off how it functions. Let me say that again. To cut off a relationship, and here's how to know when to cut a relationship off, and what you're not doing is saying, I don't believe in you anymore. You are too far gone for God, that I hate you, that I don't love you. Though sometimes they may say that. I've done this before where people think I'm judging them. No. I just, I love them too much to allow them to think that compromise is what I do. It's not. I don't compromise. We all do it times and moments. You hear what I'm saying. To cut it off means to cut off how it functions, to throw away the way it used to be. When I broke my leg, I told you my leg was so skinny, I literally could not put any pressure on it. Okay, if I stood and locked my knee, that was the only way I could stay standing on two legs. I still had to use crutches. My leg looks, looked like I was a, you know, it was so skinny. I'm, I'm not joking you. This is, this is literally the truth. It was about this big around my upper thigh. And it was covered in hair. Here's a gross thing. You ever get a cast on for a long time? This is fun. If it's been on a long time and you got a lot, guys, you got a lot of hair there. Or, I mean, girls, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Just go like this and the hair will come flying off like a snow globe. It's cool. Because <laughs> it's all like dead. It's just been caked on there, you know? It's real gross. But I remember the doctor said, hey, even though you didn't hurt your knee, all of the muscle and the muscle memory and the fat that was there, it's all gone because you just haven't exercised in a while. So what you need to do is you need to go home, get on an exercise bike. Exercise the muscle, get, the, get it back in rotation, start to relearn what you used to be able to do. Now this is bone number seven that I broke that I'm about to tell you. I get home from the hospital on the day that my cast was removed. Got a little foot pad for my ankle because I broke my ankle and my tibia and fibula. So I had no, no strength there either. So there was a burning sensation any time I'd put pressure on it. Um, it was super weird. And so they gave me a little a boot thing. But otherwise, my cast was off. And so me and my friend Jesse, we got on our bikes in our neighborhood. And we just start riding around in my little Maple Valley, quiet, sunny neighborhood with no cars. No, I didn't get run over our car. I wish I did because that's way cooler than what's about to happen. So we're driving, riding on our bikes. And I go to just simply turn around, so I'm going to slow down. I go to put my left leg, and I had enough muscle memory just to, 
and just kind of automatic. You ever done something after a while that you hadn't done in a while, but you still remember how to do it, and it's just kind of second nature? So I go to put my left leg out to stop. And with just a little weight of my ninth grade scrawny body, because there was no muscle there, I had no ability to fight it, and I fell onto my knee, uh, cracking open my patella, which is the bone right here in your knee. Cracked it right open. The day I got my freaking cast off. It's the worst. And it's not cool. It's not like I was trying to pop, you know, a wheelie or whatever. I mean, I was stopped turning my bike around. I mean, that is as lame as it gets. It is not cool. And so I had to, like, I'm crying. I'm in ninth grade. I'm not above crying yet. And so I'm just crying, and I'm trying to hobble home. And I've got to tell my dad, Dad, I just broke my knee. It's like, what? Your knee wasn't broken in the first place. Yeah, but now it is. The funny thing is, is I had to go straight back to the hospital. And what they put on me was a brace. It wasn't a full cast, but it was a brace that went from my ankle all the way up to my leg so that I could put weight on it, but it didn't function just the same. And I had to have that brace on for six months. Now, this is cool because it was when baggy pants were still in, okay? So I was able to get away with it most of the time, you know, unless I sat down and was, what's that poking through on you? Yeah, yeah, that's my brace, you know, it's cool. But um, some of your friendships, and hear me, I want you to hear this. Some of your friendships are like a skinny leg where until you take away its function, hear me, until you take away its function, you'll never truly see it function. Let me say it again. Some of your relationships are so damaged that until you allow it to be like a broken leg where you remove its function, you'll never see it truly function the way it was meant to function. See, because I actually needed a longer process of restoring my knee to the place where it could do what it was supposed to do. It wasn't even broken in the first place. Some of you are like, I mean, I got into this relationship, and it wasn't broken. He was nice. I'm nice. He's cute. I'm cute. <laughs> we both love God. And we both have a good Instagram. And it's like, what's there not to like? But over time, for whatever reason, it wasn't healthy, it wasn't the right timing, or there was some, I don't know what it was, and we'll talk more about boundaries and relationships and all that good stuff and, you know, frustrate some of you guys in a couple weeks. But, but hear me, if you're not willing to cut off some of the relationships that you have, you will actually only ever see it get worse and worse and worse, but be deceived thinking that it's getting better. Because it's possible for your leg to, re to get the muscle back, but not heal in the way that it was meant to. You've got to be willing to remove your right hand of fellowship. Let me give you a couple types of friends, and we'll close here. Here's the type of friend that you need to take your right hand of fellowship away from. Now remember, I'm not saying you go and cut off a relationship, say, see ya but you cut off what? It's function. You cut off how it was. And some of you, you just need to cut it off. 
You got friends who are pressuring you to, to vape, which again, it's not cool. Or to smoke weed, go party, whatever. But, I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, like, it's, it's actually baffling to me. The people that some Christians and students allow to influence their lives, it's like open your freaking eyes and look at their life. They're angry. They're depressed. They're never happy. They're literally never happy. They're angry. They're mad at everybody. They can't respect anyone. They walk around miserable, and everything is someone else's fault. But sure, let me follow what you're doing so that I can be more depressed and angry and sad all the time. We laugh, but it's what we do. Is we let any stupid person, not to say that they themselves are stupid, but them and you is stupid. And we let any person come in and get the right hand of fellowship saying, I'll be vulnerable with you. I'll open up to you, even though you haven't earned the right to, for me to be open, even though you haven't shown yourself to be trustworthy, even though I know you're a gossip, even though that everywhere you go, I know you talk about everyone else in a negative way, and I know that you disrespect any authority in the world, and, and there's no wonder why they are the way they, they are and going down the path that they are, but you give them the right hand. You say, come in close to my life, because I've got no filter, it's like what Cameron was talking about a couple weeks ago. You let any and everybody, any and every attitude come into your life and you wonder why you're miserable. You have no purpose, no hope, but you walk around blaming everybody else. Friends, it's you. And I'm not trying to point the finger. I'm trying, trying to expose the best thing that you can do is take the right hand of fellowship away from those who don't need it so that you can give it to those who might lift you up and propel you into the future that God has called you to go to. But you got to take that right hand away. Number one, take your right hand from the friend that causes you to stumble. Causes to stumble in the, lang- in the original language actually means someone or something whose nature gets in the pathway of another. Who by automatic, it doesn't jive. When I did Whole30 my seventh or eighth time, judge me, okay? Um, this January, I decided I was going to do it, give up coffee, which I did give up. Didn't drink coffee for 30 days. Um, and I, no, I didn't relapse. I went back to where I wanted to be, which is coffee every day. <laughs> but I remember I decided to do it, but I didn't tell Noelle. I think I'd mentioned Noelle a few days before. I'm going to do Whole30 in the new year for the first 30 days, and kind of reset my life, my body spiritually, all that kind of stuff. And we were doing a series of kind of prayer and fasting as a church type thing. And, and so I decided to do this. And we're at the mall on New Year's Day, I believe it was. And we're there. And, and um, I, Noelle went to return something. She's with Hayden. And I'm in somewhere else in the mall or whatever. And Noelle calls me. She's like, hey, we've got that gift card, the Cheesecake Factory. Let's go there. I'm like, Noelle. I'm doing Whole30. And she's like, oh, Taylor, we got to use this gift card. I'm like, okay, I'll start tomorrow. And I remember feeling the shame eating those three pounds of bread. Just, it's so good. And it's funny, isn't it funny how whenever you decide that you're going to follow Jesus and you redetermine that you're going to go a certain way, that the very next moment 
there's an offer for you to rescind your commitment. I'm going to follow Jesus. But man, that party will be fun. I'm going to follow Jesus. But man, that, that girl is so cute. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it'll be different this time. No, it won't. It won't. It won't. It won't. It won't be different. In fact, the only thing that will be different is you'll be more deceived into thinking that it's okay. You've got to get rid of the friends that cause you to stumble. And take it with a grain of salt. Please, friends, I'm not saying you push out, isolate, gossip about, point the finger at, and blame. I'm saying you change the status quo. I used to go to your house all the time, but I know when I go to your house, there's this, that, and the other thing. So I'm not going to your house anymore. You want to come to my house when my mom's there? Absolutely. You want to come hang out with me and my friends at church and worship God because that's what you need in your life? Then absolutely. But otherwise, friends, I'm done doing things the way they used to be done because I can't afford it for my soul. If you're following Jesus, you've got to ask yourself, are the people in my life by their nature causing you to stumble? They're critical, so their attitude rubs off on you. They're rude to everyone, everywhere. Man, some of you, I don't want to point fingers. It's like, and you, got, you are, you have some people in your life who are habitually rude. You, you actually have a disposition of disrespect. And you, you disrespect everyone in your life so often that you don't even know when you're doing it anymore. It's just your automatic way of carrying yourself. You don't know how to respect anyone. You don't know how to look anybody in the eye. You don't know how to be nice to anyone. You don't know how to be in a, a, a relationship or conversation with someone who's different than you or disagrees with you. And you blame the other person. You blame the church. You blame the cops. You blame your teacher. You blame your parents. You blame your youth leader for being what they are called to be in your life. And you don't even realize that you have just in, you've developed in yourself a, a disposition of automatic disrespect. What happens, though, is it doesn't start there. It starts when we get people around us who that's the way they are, and we just allow it to, by osmosis, rub off onto us. They dishonor, have no boundaries, so we start to compromise. They don't have rules, so they want us to break ours. They say whatever they want, allowing the Holy Spirit's voice in our life to get worse and worse. They make fun of people. They gossip everywhere they go. Man, this is kind of heavy, isn't it? But it's, if we're not careful, we stop being teenagers and we become 22-year-olds who are unable to function in the society because we have learned to extend the right hand of fellowship to everyone who we don't need, eliminating the possibility for us to have the right hand of fellowship with those who we do need. Cut them off. Take charge of the relationship. Call them out. Stop letting them lead you. Because it's better to lose one friend than to lose your destiny. Is that cliche? Sure. But it's true. It's better to lose some of the people in your life who you thought would always be around, but for whatever reason they chose to take a different turn. It's 
Better for you to lose them to lose, than to lose your purpose, your destiny. Number two, we'll close here. I'll just have Jake come up on the guitar. Um, number two, cut off the friend who gossips. Cut off the friend who gossips. I would encourage you, and hear this, hear this. Um, I think 100% of us in here would slip into gossip very easily. It's very easy to do. Because we have a safe place with our friends. We start talking, it just becomes normal. It's regular. We don't realize, and we start gossiping, and then all of a sudden we come to, and we're like, whoa, I'm gossiping. Be the kind of person who is willing to be so awkward in the moment that it frustrates everyone else in the room. I love my cousin, Joseph. I've talked about him before. I think Michaela and I were talking about him the other day. How when he was in high school, he would, uh, he was, he was almost a, like so spiritual, it was like frustrating. And, but I loved it because there was no context when stuff like that would start happening that he wouldn't speak up. He was always the guy to speak up to the point where he'd stop getting invited to places. And good on him because he is following where God wants him to go. And guess what? He'll be 30 years old fulfilling his destiny, married with kids and killing it at life wondering where did all those people who used to make fun of me and stopped inviting me go oh wait they're stuck in the past do you want to get stuck in the past raise your hand you want to get stuck in the past i don't friends if you're not careful it won't matter what you want because show me your friends i'll show you your future you got a bunch of gossipers around you guess what that's where you're going to I heard it said, I don't know who originally said this. We'll close here. But if they're talking about them to you, they're also talking about you to them. Meaning, if someone is willing to gossip to you and your friends about somebody over there, guess what they're probably doing when you're not there? They're doing the same thing about you. I remember a moment where I was at a camp and I walked around a corner and I was about to turn the corner and I overheard people talking about me and, and it wasn't in a positive way. And I remember I stopped in my tracks and I listened for a minute and then I was like, no, this isn't good. I need to walk away. And I was so sad. I was hurt. It hurt my heart. It, it hurt my feelings. I, I didn't like what I heard. It, it, it didn't sit good with me. But what, what start to hit, started to hit me later was... I know I've been in situations where I was standing in that circle, having that conversation. And I determined then not to be perfect, but to do whatever I could that when I'm in a situation like that, if people are talking, I'm going to say, hey, guys, let's just pause. And I know that it's often not intention, is it? But it's not our intention that gets us to our purpose. Not a, it's not like, oh, I didn't mean it. It doesn't matter what you meant. What are you doing? So I decided from that day forward, I will be the kind of person who is willing to Jesus juke in the moment and say, you know what, guys? If you want to keep this conversation going, let me know, because I'll peace out. I'm not perfect at it. And there's times where I've realized I've woken up in a conversation, realizing, whoa, where did this go? I didn't realize what we're doing. Hey, guys, we probably should pause this. 
you got to cut off your friends who are gossiping. I'd venture to say, the better you get at cutting off friends, it will fulfill what that scripture said. Faithful. I don't say faithful. Faithful are the words of a friend. And what that means, a friend who is willing to do the awkward will see the fruit good for you. A friend who is willing to say and do what is not comfortable in the moment for the sake of the long-term health will always see the fruit. Cut them off. Doesn't mean you be rude. Doesn't mean you be like, God told me I can't be your friend anymore. Like Napoleon Dynamite. I just can't. It's like, Don't mistake cutting off a friend for disloyalty or judgment. Don't mistake loyalty for flattery. Some of you are being unloyal and dishonoring to your friends by sticking by their side while they disobey their parents, while they run from God, and they do everything that they know they ought not to do. The best thing you can do for your friend is say, you know what, you're wrong. I'm going to call your dad. Love those kind of people. Because it stings. But I'm not here, friends. Can I be honest? I don't care about you right now. I don't. I don't care about where you end up next year. I care about you when you're 35. And you've got kids who you don't want to end up on the streets and on drugs. I care about you when your grandparents watching your legacy. I care about that. And if that means me making you uncomfortable right now, then by all means, bring it on. Because I don't care about you right now. I care about you tomorrow. And I care about your eternity. I care about your soul. I care about your relationships. I care about your purpose and your destiny and your life. I care about that. I don't care what you do right now. I'll be awkward all day. I'm 33. I got two kids. I don't need your approval. My kids love me. My son smiled at me today, so you don't have to smile at me. You can frown at me. You can point your finger. You can even go make a finsta about me. We'll talk about that as well. I'm not here for your approval. I'm here to say, if you will allow God to, he will change the trajectory of your life, and you will no longer go the way you used to go. You will go upwards and onwards into what God has called you to be, and that is so much better than what you can drum up on your own. Do you believe that? Do you believe